Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the show, the scariest part of Elysium isn't just those flame wheels. Even though they're pretty scary, actually. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Caleb. And I'm Abu. And fun story, Abu. I'm not sure if you realize this or not. Mm-hmm. We've been podcasting for almost like I th- about three years now. And yeah. I th- this is the first time that you and I have appeared together in an episode that had less than four people in it. I think you're absolutely correct. You know, that's funny. I was thinking of that, too, coming into the episode today. I couldn't remember an instance where just me, just you hosted an episode together. But now we finally will. And today we're going to focus on Hades and Supergiant Games, something we've geeked out about since the beginning of Lore Party. The two of us have always, always, always talked about doing episodes about Supergiant Games titles and Today, we finally found an excuse to talk about Hades. This has been one of my favorite games. I've been into this for months now. I played a little bit of it when it was first in early access, but it's just been really exciting to like finally deep dive into like the the meaty story aspects of it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And actually, before we get to the meaty story aspects of it, speaking of Supergiant Games and their incredible titles... I would love to know, and we can just breeze through this. We don't have to spend too much time on this, but I would love to know, Caleb, your power rankings of Supergiant Games titles. Ooh, like the the issue with that is that it depends a lot on the specific like aspect of it that we're doing. If we're going primarily based off of gameplay, Hades is my favorite gameplay-wise. If we're going okay. specifically based off of story, Pyre is my favorite story. And if we're going specifically based off of, like, visual and audio aesthetic, uh, Transistor is my favorite. Wow. So they all bring something to the table for you. For me, the ranking is a bit more clear cut. Like, I think Bastion holds a very special place in my heart just for being the first one, the OG, the thing that introduced me to Supergiant Games and their work. Uh, And then Transistor is probably number two. I know a lot of people aren't big on Transistor, but it holds a special place in my heart. And then it goes Hades, and then probably Pyre. Even though I love Pyre, I just couldn't get into the uh, basketball gameplay aspect of it. But Pyre is not what we're here to talk about today. Caleb, we're here to talk about Hades, the latest and greatest title from Supergiant Games. And we're specifically going to be focusing on two aspects of Hades. One, Elysium, which is a level in the game that Zagreus has to get through on his journey out of the underworld. And two, the character... Theseus, who we find in Elysium. The story ties the two together really well in a really interesting way. Theseus is 
the final boss of the area, but then on top of that, both of their stories and both of their themes are closely associated with the other. Theseus is largely a representation of everything Elysium stands for, and Elysium itself is literally made for people like Theseus, at least as he's portrayed in this game. Yeah, definitely. And as we were talking about these two things we wanted to cover today and doing our homework and research for today's episode, the thing that I just kept coming back to was just how dark Theseus as a character is and just how dark Elysium as a place is. Like Elysium is presented as this beautiful paradise where heroes and warriors get to go rest. It's their final resting place. And Theseus, of course, is a hero of Greek myth. But once you get to know this place more, once you get to know this character more, you realize there's kind of a hidden darkness there that Supergiant Games really leaned into in Hades. And on top of that, and I think the, we'll get a little bit more into this as we get further into the episode, but I think the really cool thing about the darkness and the thing to keep in mind as we're kind of diving into these themes is the sheer extent to which Zagreus fighting against them, Zagreus fighting against Elysium and against Theseus, is also a big part of him fighting against the things that we're about to kind of talk about with what they represent. Yeah, it all ties back into Zagreus's journey as well. So it's really, again, we can't compliment Supergiant Games enough and the work that they do, but this is another example of, of their excellent storytelling and world building. One other thing I wanted to address before we sort of jump into the meat and potatoes of today's episode and really break down Elysium and really break down Theseus as a character is the fact that we are a lore podcast. And at first glance, you might look at a game like Hades and be like, what lore? Isn't it just Greek mythology? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Just like read any Greek myth and be like, oh, yeah, I know the story. But... You know, the counter to that, of course, is, yes, it is just Greek mythology, but it is Supergiant Games' interpretation of Greek mythology. And they take it in some really interesting ways that we're going to get into on today's episode. But I would say, don't come into this episode with some preconceived notions on Elysium or Theseus or knowing Greek mythology, because Supergiant Games takes it in their own unique direction. And learning about these topics and doing our research for this episode really made me appreciate the game that much more. Uh, you know, ne next time I face off against Theseus, I'm going to be a little more cognizant of his history and his past and what brought him to this place. Yeah, I mean, I'm still not going to, you know, cry when I finally break his stupid chariot. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. For some reason, the Theseus fight is still the toughest one for me. Like, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But... Um... <laughs> But yeah, so going on to a little bit more about Elysium uh, more broadly, and I think kind of Elysium, at least as far as the Greek myth of it all that Supergiant Games was originally pulling from. Yeah, yeah. So I took it upon myself to do the homework on the Elysium part of today's episode. So let me let me sort of lay the groundwork on what I found. And to be clear, I'm no like expert on Greek mythology. This is what I found through some uh, reliable sources on the internet, and there are multiple and many interpretations of Greek myth. So this is not the one and only one. This is not the one only correct one, but this is uh, what my research showed. So Elysium in Greek mythology, according to the Britannica Encyclopedia, here's a direct quote. 
In Homer's writings, the Elysian Plain was a land of perfect happiness at the end of the earth on the banks of the Oceanus. Elysium was a place for the blessed dead, and from Pindar on, entrance was gained by a righteous life. So, if you look at that through the lens of some Judeo-Christian religions or monotheistic religions, basically heaven? Basically some version of paradise? I think presumably most interpretations of uh, heaven and hell are based off of the, you know, different chapters of the Divine Comedy, which is itself taking a lot of influence from Greek mythology. So, I mean, it probably isn't an exaggeration to say that Elysium influenced uh, cultural interpretations of heaven. Yeah, completely. So to dive a little deeper into Elysium, there are two realms of Elysium. The first is called the White Island, and this is an island paradise that's reserved for the heroes of myth, the heroes of Greek mythology, the ones that we all know and hear about constantly. The second realm is actually an underworld realm that's separated from Hades' domain, from quote-unquote hell, by the river Leith. Am I pronouncing that right, Caleb? I'm I'm pretty sure it's Lethe. I'm pretty sure they pronounce Lethe. it. Lethe. At least in at least in the game, they uh, pronounce it Lethe, and the only reason I know yeah. that is because I'm constantly uh, fishing there in game. Ah, there you go. <laughs> there, you're learning. You're learning. Yes. So the river Lethe is what separates this second realm of Elysium from Hades' realm, and it's described as a pleasant field where those selected by the gods of mysteries end up. And this second realm obviously is the interpretation that Supergiant Games shows in Hades. Now, Caleb, the one thing I wanted to point out about Elysium and who gets to go to it and why they get to go to it, the word heroic is used a lot. And the thing with Greek myth is heroic is basically synonymous with warrior. The classics that we've heard of Achilles, Agamemnon, Ajax, Patrocles, like these are the people who end up in Elysium, some of whom we actually even come across in the game, Patroclus is in the game, that interpretation of like, quote unquote, good or heroic is a little different than obviously our modern interpretation of what makes a person good or what makes a person heroic. It's not necessarily how bloody their sword gets in battle. Um, But like I was saying, obviously, that's not the one and only interpretation of Elysium, and there are many different ways to interpret it. And Supergiant Games chose to adopt some of that Greek myth and then chose to adapt it in some really interesting ways. What's interesting about Elysium specifically is that the things that make it most unique, or at least the things that make it most specifically supergiant, I guess, are things that you almost have to dig at least a little bit to really notice. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, looking at the Codex entry, we have the exact quote from the Codex entry for Elysium here, And even this doesn't give you a lot of clues as to how Supergiant is differentiating their Elysium from classical Greek myth. So I I can go ahead and actually read the quote for us. This is what the Codex has to say about Elysium. Elysium is the most exclusive, sparsely populated region in the underworld, and even still, it is perhaps the most well-known. So it must be said that reaching Elysium is no small feat. A lifetime spent achieving impressive feats is the best preparation I can think of. And again, the Codex is written from the perspective of Achilles. So to him, 
it's just a place where you go after you've done exceptional things in your life. And what's interesting is when Zagreus arrives in Elysium, he kind of scoffs at it. And you start to learn a bit more about the truth of how these heroes who've done these incredible things in their lives are actually spending the rest of eternity. And it's it's not so great when you break it down. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what's really interesting and visible about it is you do see this like massive dark side to it. And so like one of the specific things to it and one of the, I guess, major things that we're going to be kind of bringing up is specifically the river Lethe that goes through it, mm-hmm. the river of forgetfulness. The idea behind it in a lot of Greek mythology is that you drink from the river and you forget things that happened in your life. And so in some interpretations, it's a little bit more along the lines of drink from the river and you forget your memories so that you can become reincarnated or reborn into whatever the next life is. You can re-enter the mortal realm or you can choose to not drink it and remain in the underworld if that's how you want to spend your afterlife is a degree of how that's treated. But at the same time, there's other interpretations that see it as a little bit more of like it's part of the paradise is having the ability to numb whatever uh, earthly pains you had experienced. I think uh, in super giant games, they lean a little bit more into the latter end of things mm-hmm. with um, it largely being um, suggested that that's why um, people would drink from the river is painful things that happen in their life. And you see a lot of this with uh, Patroclus. Look, like we've established, the people who are ending up in Elysium are warriors, right? They've seen bloodshed and death and unimaginable horrors in their lifetimes. And they've achieved heroic feats, many of which I'm sure, if I can wager a guess, involved killing people and monsters. So these people haven't exactly lived lush lives of luxury. And now that they arrive in Elysium, some of them continue to fight, right? In Supergiant's interpretation, there's a Colosseum. And that's literally where we fight Theseus in the game as Zagreus. This is a sport in Elysium where they can continue to fight if they want to, which I don't know if I'd want to after a lifetime of doing that, but they have the option to. And the other option they have, like you've said, is to drink from the River Lethe and forget the horrible things that they maybe had to do in life to get to Elysium. And often drinking from the River Lethe is what they do to be able to go and continue fighting. So Patroclus's uh, gifts that he gives you whenever you go in there, because like most of the time people like will take their death defiances, but he also gives you really good uh, healing or damage um, mm-hmm. bonuses. It largely implies that pretty much everyone in Elysium is given a at or near unlimited amount of all of those things, specifically so that they can continue fighting nonstop for as long as they want. The only reason Patroclus is the one that um, gives you these is because he doesn't take part in the fighting. So even though he still gets his, you know, like wholesale. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Death defiance. Those death defiance mimosas, you know, they just keep showing up. 
and he's just giving them away to Zagreus. Exactly. Which I'm extremely grateful for on most of my runs, but neither here nor there. Yeah, that's a really good point. And again, Patrocles, uh, I've always pronounced that Patrocles, you're pronouncing it differently. I think to be totally clear, neither you or I, Caleb, are experts on Greek mythology. So listeners, if you guys are experts, tweet at us, email us, let us know how to pronounce some of these names. But Patrocles is a really, really unique character in Elysium. And I know we're going to focus on Theseus primarily, but I think we can take a little bit of a detour because I do want to talk about him and his attitude toward Elysium because it's unique. Theseus is embracing Elysium. He's in that Colosseum fighting people. He's doing that whole hero shtick. Patrocles is sitting outside that Colosseum. He's real mopey. And his attitude toward it, I mean, he's being a downer. Like the first time you approach him, he says to you, and this is a direct quote, he says to Zagreus, leave me to my eternal paradise. Damn you. End quote. Think about that. Is that how, Caleb, you would imagine you'd be acting in heaven where you get to stream your favorite movies and anime all the time? <laughs> Leave me to my eternal paradise, <laughs> damn you. <laughs> I mean, it's not entirely outside of the realm that I think of things that are, though maybe with a different inflection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think this quote shows us that Patroclus is not happy here in Elysium. And we come to learn eventually why that is, right? We know that Patroclus is not happy being in Elysium because he is without his lover. And that's Achilles. And we know that because Achilles is down in Hades' house. We can go talk to him as Zagreus every time we die. And for him, paradise is nothing without Achilles. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to participate in the Colosseum. He just wants to be with Achilles. And it's a really tragic story. We actually see from the Codex, and again, a reminder that the Codex is written from Achilles' point of view, that Achilles is also tortured by this, by not being with Patroclus. And he wonders if he should risk it all and try to escape, sort of how Zagreus is doing, and go to Elysium, go to his lover, or if it's not worth it because maybe Patroclus just did the thing everyone else in Elysium is doing and drank from the River Lethe to forget all about Achilles and forget all about his pain. It's definitely an intense thing to just go through and see, but you definitely see they both died at war and they both lived lives that involved a significant amount of like fighting and violence at different points. And so there is an element of it where... There's just that intense self-hate that just goes with that. Um, every time, mm -hmm. every time anyone praises Achilles in game for all of the um, heroic things he did, Achilles almost always turns them down in some way, like saying the number of people that I killed isn't something that I'm proud of. I'm more proud of. And he like talks about like having been able to uh, train and raise Zagreus, and he talks about how he's more proud of that than he is of any of the things that got him to Elysium. The thing, yeah, exactly. Like the killing is what got someone like Theseus or someone like Achilles to a paradise like Elysium. And the fact that it's also such a painful memory for them, it, it's really tragic to think about it in this way and to realize that Elysium is just full of people who just need therapy. They don't need 
a river that makes them forget stuff. They just need therapy. (laughs) (laughs) And it just adds this whole like extra take on it. Every time Zagreus goes there, everyone tries to fight him except for Patroclus. Specifically, some of them because they're under orders to do it. Most of them because they just really like fighting. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of messed up. And, you know, just to reiterate and wrap up our little conversation about Elysium here, because we've we've touched on Theseus a little bit, but I'm really excited to dive deep into into his history and what he represents here. But just to wrap up Elysium quickly, I think at first what seems like a paradise when you think about it, and especially when you take into consideration Patrick opinions and thoughts about being in that paradise, and when you take into consideration what the actual purpose of the river Lethe is, it becomes a really, really dark place to end up. It's a place where you're in this vicious cycle of, I guess there's a Colosseum here and all I've done my entire life is fight and kill, but that has given me a lot of pain and trauma. So I'll just drink from this river so I forget that and I can keep fighting. And you're sort of in this vicious cycle. And, you know, I was joking earlier about all of these people need therapy, but they do. Rather than forget their past and forget their trauma, they need to confront it and come to terms with it. And Elysium is really not the place where you get to do that. Elysium is just a place where you get to indulge maybe some of your darkest fantasies. So it it really does kind of burst that bubble of Elysium. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think we learned that about Theseus as well. He's kind of a dick the whole time, and you never really like him, but we know from Greek myth that he's a hero. He's an Elysium for a reason. But then you get to know him a bit more, and that bubble starts to burst. His life in traditional Greek mythology, it has a lot going on, and there's a lot of kind of different sides and interpretations and versions of like different chapters. However, it follows the broad strokes of the kind of classic uh, heroic monomyth. So, like, humble origins eventually, like, achieve these heroic deeds to become great, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the hero's journey. Exactly. He's overcome several different obstacles and trials, both before and after he became king of Athens. I think most famously and relevant to his appearance in Hades is he had traveled to Crete to confront King, um, I don't know if it's Minos or Minos. I think it's Minos. We'll go with Minos. But he had been sacrificing Athenian children to a half-man, half-bull monster, the Minotaur, who in some versions of the story is literally his son. (laughs) The Minotaur is actually the king's son in some versions of the story. And Asterius says a few things that strongly imply that Uh... that's what's going on here. (laughs) Um, Don't think too much about that one. But he, he managed to find and defeat the Minotaur within the labyrinth, 
And with the help of Ariadne, the daughter of uh, King Minos, she agreed to help him on the condition that she be allowed to leave with him. But Theseus was actually told by Athena after all of this happened that he needed to leave without her, that she wasn't allowed to go with him. It actually bothered him that he didn't leave with her because prior to first leaving to go confront this king um, and stop all these sacrifices, he told his father that um, he was sailing off with a black sail. And if he was successful, he would return with a white sail if his Mm -hmm. quest was successful but that he would instruct his crew to not switch to a white sail if he failed and he died. And so he was so stressed out and distressed about having left Ariadne behind that he forgot to switch out to the white sail that he had succeeded. Uh And so his father saw the ship with the black sail, believed that Theseus was dead, and before the ship arrived, threw himself off a cliff. Oh my gosh. Classic Greek tragedy, right? Like Mm -hmm. that the very definition of Greek tragedy. I think this is one of those Greek myths that I do admit has me scratching my head a little bit where like, okay, if anyone had a 20 second conversation with anyone else here, like, (laughs) but honestly, guys, communication, (laughs) you got to communicate with each other. Come on. Communication (laughs) wasn't invented until like the (laughs) eighties. John Hughes invented communication when he created the breakfast club. (laughs) Ah, that must be it. Yeah. So much of Greek tragedy could have been avoided if people just talked to each other. <laughs> and then other like things that have happened in his life. There is actually precedent of uh, Theseus traveling to the underworld. I mean, they keep talking about how there's no escape to and from the underworld, but lots of people have done it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. So at one point, uh, Theseus actually travels to the underworld in his own life with his best friend, um... Priathus. And while they were traveling, Priathus was attacked by the Furies and taken away in front of Theseus. Theseus is, uh, it actually specifically says Theseus's courage failed him and he wasn't able to save his friend and he was basically permanently fixed to a rock. He did later get saved by Heracles and was able to return to the world above but that was this key aspect of theseus watched his best friend get dragged away um literally into hell without him right and and not that he couldn't save him but like literally was too scared you know like lost his courage was too scared like imagine what that does to somebody who thinks they're a hero or they're a war hero that that they've seen it all like finally being confronted by the Viries and being scared and then losing your best friend as a result of that. That's got to mess you up. Yeah. Like the other aspect of that is that he, even after all of this went down, like there's still more going on. There's one point where he uh, falsely incorrectly believed that one of his sons, um, Hippolytus, had attacked his second wife, Phaedra. Mm-hmm. And so he basically invoked Poseidon to kill him, only to find out later that he was innocent. No, guys, talk to each other. Exactly. And this whole situation was just <laughs> the gods having like proxy petty revenge battles against each other. Like, oh, classic, classic gods. I mean, overall, like going into like the original Greek myth itself, Theseus's actual life was one where. 
most of his triumphs were ones of violence, of who he was able to successfully kill or defeat. And many, many, many of his losses were the result of um, his own personal or interpersonal failings. Things that he hadn't communicated or ways that he had failed and failed some someone who like was close to him. And that already paints such a different picture of the hero Theseus. Mm -hmm. My guy who accidentally killed his own son. My guy who couldn't save his best friend. Like all of these things are not heroic. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, many of his heroic triumphs were the result of being helped by a god or the result of being saved by someone else or just being good at killing people and not necessarily the most heroic thing to do. <laughs> exactly. And like, that's the thing. So like, you don't see a whole lot of this context in the actual uh, game, like when you're fighting him mm-hmm. and he just kind of seems just like kind of a shallow dick, but <laughs> yeah, like a, like a total frat boy. Exactly. The nature of his relationship with Asterius suggests that there's a lot of layers to unravel and there's a much more complicated personality than we've seen. Because, like, keep in mind, like, we don't necessarily know which of these things that I've mentioned are canon or, like, official to uh, Supergiant's story. Right, like, which which parts Supergiant borrowed and used and which parts Supergiant changed for their own vision. Um, there are some bits of dialogue where he makes reference to uh, Ariadne. If you walk into the Colosseum with an item that's associated with Ariadne, he thinks that you're using it to taunt him and becomes like Ooh. angry and stressed out at you. Yeah, I mean, of course, because he still feels guilt over leaving her behind. Fuckboy mm-hmm. Theseus was like, yeah, girl, I'll take you home, and then just leaves her. There's even one point when he starts... Uh, giving excuses that like, no, he doesn't actually care about her. Like, oh, you keep trying to wag this. Like, she doesn't actually mean anything to me. And Asterius, meanwhile, is just kind of crossing his arms. It's just like, careful how you talk about her. That's my sister. <laughs> yeah. All right. Because Asterius is related to her, right? Or could be related. Yeah. It's still kind of questionable what happened yeah. there in the genealogy. But yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm, it's so cool to sort of know the history behind that line or why he gets agitated in the game. It's because of this story, mm-hmm. uh, because of because of the guilt that he potentially still feels. And that's interesting that Supergiant chose to carry that over to their character. Uh, there's really more to Theseus than meets the eye here. And there's there's really a lot with his, you've sort of touched on this already, but there's a lot with his friendship with Asterius as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a pretty unique twist that Supergiant puts on on this classical myth. That's one specific aspect of it that, I don't believe that that's actually in any, like, quote-unquote official Greek myth of Theseus and Asterius becoming friends um, in any way after um, their respective lives. But it's this key, unique aspect to uh, Supergiant. There's actually one point where Theseus even says, we are brothers in death just as we're enemies in life. Yeah, it's so interesting that the fact that they both ended up in Elysium, first of all. There's actually an aspect to that. Um, Theseus ended up in Elysium. Asterius ended up in Tartarus. Theseus sought out Asterius. Whoa. And arranged at personal risk to himself to have him brought to Elysium. There's that guilt again, Caleb. Exactly. Maybe he feels guilty about (laughs) killing Asterius. Exactly. During his life. And so, like, not just necessarily guilty about killing Asterius, but also just this aspect of, like, 
um, what is it? The Codex actually specifically says that Theseus sees a peer in Asterius. So Theseus is looking at Asterius and he's just like, literally the son of a king, but everyone treats you like a monster. That's sort of a window into Theseus's mindset mm-hmm. and a way to really showcase, potentially, you brought this word up before, potentially his self-hate, mm-hmm. this guilt that he's feeling, this self-hate, the fact that he is supposedly a hero and has ended up or earned his way into Elysium, but he doesn't see himself as one. And I think his braggadocious nature, especially when he confronts Zagreus, really showcases that he he's putting up a front. And whether or not he's drinking from the waters of the river Lethe to forget stuff, some of the stuff he cannot forget. It gives a lot of interesting uh, context to it. Because like, if you listen to some of Theseus's taunts, like, and if you think about this, like, when you're listening to a lot of the things Theseus, like, accuses you of, both when you're fighting him and sometimes before fights, it almost sounds like it could be a projected self-talk, because there's mm. a lot of things that he incorrectly assumes about Zagreus with that, too. So there's one point that he says, like, all you think you've accomplished was merely handed to you. Oh, my God. Big yikes. He doesn't even know what Zagreus claims to have accomplished at this point. He kind of brags in not knowing who or what Zagreus is for most of the fights. Wow. That after everything we've talked about, after everything we've learned in this episode about Theseus, that line hits different. Mm-hmm. That line, he's not talking about Zagreus there. I don't believe that for one second. He's talking about himself. And then there's another point he yells, like, you are unwelcome in Elysium and I will gladly escort you out. Like mm. Theseus does not think he deserves to be in Elysium. It, it's really, I love that you brought this point up. I, I would put money down that this is exactly the interpretation that Supergiant was going for in their game. The fact that he is best friends with the monster that he killed and now sees himself in that monster. The fact that he taunts Zagreus without barely knowing anything about him and taunts him in a way, like you said with these quotes, that speak to a lot of his self-hate. He's a tragic figure. Mm -hmm. And if there's one takeaway in this episode, he needs therapy. And so does everyone else in Elysium. (laughs) Aside from maybe Asterius, like, Asterius has this shit a little bit uncomfortably well together. (laughs) Yeah. And look, Asterius respects what Zagreus is doing in some way. And doesn't necessarily fight him out of some sort of like braggadocious hatred or needing to prove something to himself. Like he just kind of does it because it's his job. I think one of the most confounding parts for a lot of the game is Asterius and Theseus's friendship makes almost no sense given how respectful and polite and friendly Asterius is to Zagreus for most of the game and how much of just an unapologetic asshole (laughs) Theseus is like constantly in just that whole dynamic. It never makes any sense. And every time Zagreus questions Asterius or Theseus on this matter, like how are the two of you friends? Like every, every single time um, Asterius responds with something along the lines of this isn't something you're capable of understanding. Even then, like there's one point when Theseus is afraid that Asterius is going to abandon him. And Asterius just straight up says he's not going to be able to destroy what we have because he just straight up doesn't understand it. Yeah, they have a powerful bond and there's a lot of shared pain there. And I know I've been taking shots at Theseus this entire episode. I'm going to continue doing so. being a dickhead. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, 
rightfully so. But at the same time, like now I know so much more about him. Mm-hmm. Now I can sort of respect where he's coming from. And I can even see him as the tragic figure that he is and feel a little bit of empathy towards him. Feel even feel a little bit of pity towards his situation. Like he didn't ask for this. And maybe he made a lot of mistakes in his life, but he deserves his shot at redemption. But now he doesn't have it. He is stuck for the rest of eternity in Elysium with his best friend, the Minotaur that he killed. And this is something I actually just thought of. It's definitely an interesting parallel because we were talking a little bit earlier about Achilles specifically, how Achilles resented the fact that everything he's remembered for in his life was killing and he talks about how in his mind one of the greatest things he's accomplished is the fact that he taught Zagreus um how to fight but then also was able to teach Zagreus compassion and like yeah. his his relationship with Zagreus is something that in Achilles's mind he use, he kind of redeems himself on some level um at least in his own mind whereas i think i wonder if that's a degree of what Asterius is to Theseus Maybe not, obviously not in the same way, because holy crap, Theseus needs therapy. But at the same time, <laughs> I wonder if Theseus sees his relationship with Asterius as this is something that redeems me for the, all the failings that I had in my life. No, I think you're spot on. And what a wonderful dot to connect there. It's, it's really, it goes so much deeper than just Theseus is a frat boy asshole who wants to fight you and Achilles is just your trainer. It goes so much deeper than that. Look, Caleb, what I'm really proud of achieving this episode, if I can just step back for a moment, is we've stayed extremely on brand for Lore Party and overthought every single aspect of this game. Oh my gosh, we have. And <laughs> <laughs> Overthinking it is literally our brand, and we have gone so deep on what is seemingly just a roguelite where you, like wrapped up in a Greek mythology <laughs> wrapper. But there's so much more to it. And some of this, I I would argue, a lot of this has to be intentional. There's no way some of those lines of dialogue were written and recorded where some of these things aren't true. It's absolutely intentional. This is all intentional. And it's all there when you look for it and dig for it. And it's incredible. It has completely, doing this episode with you and doing the research and learning about this part of the game has completely changed my next Mm -hmm. run of Hades. I mean, it's it's changed some of my emotions of my next run of Hades. I'm still going to kill Theseus, probably, <laughs> but like, Look, he's depends, in the on, way. depends on whether or not I'm able to get uh, enough duo boons by the end of Asphodel. But nevertheless, <laughs> <laughs> well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party and check out our YouTube page for bonus videos and highlights. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.